Hi, I'm Natalie. I'm Emily. And I'm Jessica. And we're the Dangerous Liberal Lady Preachers. I just are United Methodist clergy women from upstate New York. And we're finding a different way to do spirituality. So, what was yeah, buddy, it's a she talk. <laughs> anyway, so we're recording. Was she talking? Was that funny? So, we are in an episode of Dangerous Liberal Lady Creatures. We really have two special guests this morning. The first is the Reverend Heather Williams, who's the senior pastor at the San Antonio and Springs United yeah. Methodist Church. And the other special guest is my son, Daniel, who thinks that the lady who says that we're recording on Zoom is so funny. Isn't she funny? <laughs> so anyway, Heather, the place yes. where we always begin these interviews is to invite you to share as much as you'd like to about your spiritual journey. It's interesting that that was the first question. I, I really haven't thought about that in a really long time I was like my spiritual journey where do I begin where do I start that that journey so I guess for me since my dissertations on women in religious leadership and that's why I've been focusing on the last two years I think that's where I'm going to start I think as a as a clergy women woman in the this part of the world it has been um, challenging and it has been life-giving and it has been um, disempowering. And a lot of times it's been woven all together in one stream. Um, it's interesting, I for my paper, and I think this will um, really demonstrate my spiritual journey a little bit because I'm such a visual person. I went kayaking on the Scroon River which was not the smartest thing to do. I'm not a river kayaker. I just wanted to try it. So I started on my little jaunt on the river. Now my spouse was up at the other end fishing so he could come bail me out when needed. So I wasn't that adventurous. And so I'm kayaking and there's this gentleman and he is, um, you know, in his kayak and he says, this river is just fine. Once you get past the first set of rapids, you'll be fine. Everything will be good. It'll be great. I'm like, oh, okay, fabulous. So I hit my first rapids and I was like, oh no. Um, I get through the first rapids and then I meander a little bit further and I go to, the, I get up, get to a second set of rapids. By the time I'm at my third set of rapids, I'm exhausted and my anxiety level is through the roof. So I anchor my kayak and I just sit and eat my lunch. I think for the last 10 years, the um, older gentleman in that kayak has been um, my bishop. And I've been trying to paddle along and I've been told, just go ahead. You're just fine. Keep going. But as I've done that, there have been ways that my leadership's been disempowered my voice has been silenced and many women's stories have been stolen in the last 10 years. And so I, 
so through those last 10 years, I spiritually, my spiritual journey has led me to repeatedly try to advocate for and defend clergy women in the process at all different levels. And it's, it's taken a lot. It's taken a lot out of me. I've lost, I, there are people on the board who won't work with me anymore. There are, um, yeah, it's been hard, but it's also been life-giving as well. So right now, my spiritual journey is leading me to um, uncover a way to to heal from that space. Um, I believe we're in a new season. And I feel hopeful that I can actually name all those pieces now without the fear of repercussion. What's that? Yeah, so Daniel would like us to know that Nick Wilde and Judy Hopps from the movie Zootopia are also joining us. Very important. Yeah, Daniel. So, yes, we we hesitate on this, you know, how much we want to, you know, say about a, a certain bishop who just left our conference. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, fair to say that we are in a very wounded season. And honestly, those wounds were a big part of what inspired this podcast. Mm. The amount of destruction that we have all experienced over the last several years has been immense. Mm. Things have been completely torn down to their foundations. Mm. And I, in particular, I, in particular, in the last couple of years, and I mean, you know this just because you know me, but I went through a season in my life where basically everything that I had was taken away mm -hmm. and I had to rebuild, yeah. you know, no more, no more home in Rochester, no, no more orchestra, no more family, no more long-term friendships. Obviously those people are still in my life, but they don't live down the block for me anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And the calling that I got from the divine during that time and especially since i have been serving where i am now and living how i am now mm -hmm. has been that the counterbalance for destruction has to be creation mm -hmm. that and that is what's missing because destruction is part of life and it's part of it's part of the natural rhythm of the earth and ecclesiastes 3 1 through 8 tells us that very clearly that mm -hmm. there's a time to be born and there's a time to die there's a time to build and then there's a like there's a time to gather stones and then there's a time to disperse stones mm -hmm. like but it, you can't just scatter stones without gathering any together mm -hmm. so it, it it brings your power back after you have had some of it taken from you by a certain bishop mm -hmm. or by any forces in your life and the forces of ministry can be extraordinarily disempowering yeah. but that's what's missing yeah. and you have the power to restore at least some of it by creating mm -hmm. every time you create you start to take away from the people that have been deconstructing from you. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did here. We created a podcast mm -hmm. and we created a channel where now our voices are out there for anybody who wants to hear them. And it turns out there's a lot of anybody's out there. The audience, the reach for this is actually pretty big, especially among clergy women mm -hmm. and probably unsurprisingly. Right. Um, 
And so that's, that's just all you can do is speak into your authentic truth Mm -hmm. and rebuild, you know, kind of, and at this season, I think some of us are starting to feel like we're like, you know, those people you see on the news that live in like Kansas that have like their whole town flattened by a tornado. Mm-hmm. that's where we are yeah. but even then you can still go to home depot do yoga and you know build and, and get some more lumber and supplies and build a new house it yep. won't look like the old one but you could still do it mm-hmm. you know I, I think the power of the destruction that we um were subject to the power is the secrecy and the silence. The power behind that is, um, and is the secret, like I, the secrecy and the silence and the empowerment then lies in the um, unearthing or exposing of that which has been um, hidden. And it's it's amazing when I first started my DMIM project, I reached out to some clergy women and I found how similar our stories were in, in this process. And we, we were the code of silence or the cone of silence, the, the secrecy of confidentiality and all that other stuff. Like we don't have to be confident. We don't have to have um, a confidentiality when it comes to our own story. You can't tell me that my own story is not my story to then tell to the world because it's my story, you know? And so I think that that's one of the three tiers, like the stories stolen, the voices silenced and the leadership and disempowered. The only way to heal from that is then to create space so that the stories can be remembered, put back together. And voices can be heard and then leadership will be empowered. So that's kind of my goal for my project is to gather clergy women in the the United Methodists of Upper New York annual conference together to um, share stories. Have you heard of the Narrative 4 project? Colleen Priniger um, introduced me to this and you can get... um, uh, certified with this online. It's really, it's really a cool process of storytelling where you, it, it is very structured, but I'm just going to tell you quickly how it goes. So you're in a circle and you're kind of paired off with somebody who's next to you and you share your stories and you're giving, given a very sp- specific parameter and time frame on how to do that. And when it, the time is over, you share the story. So if you were my partner, I would share your story that you shared with me aloud in the first person. And so it causes us to have more empathy and understanding for one another. And so I think by weaving together our stories with Mary Magdalene's story, um, that's a real clear case of a story that was stolen (laughs) and a voice that was silenced and her leadership in the Christian church disempowered. So I think there's a lot of connection there for us to be found. <laughs> Listening only people won't won't catch this, but um, Daniel is being a hoot this morning. Um, yeah. yeah. Because I was pretending that 
Nick yeah. And Judy are yeah, Nick and Judy are an important part of this podcast. I agree. <laughs> um, P.S. That is a good movie for anyone who happens to be listening. Zootopia, mm-hmm. much deeper than you think it should be, given the it premise. It is deep. It is deep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, I've, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Mary Magdalene supporter and apologist. Mm-hmm. Um, she is one of my favorite people to preach in a first person perspective for, mm-hmm. especially on Easter. Yeah. Um, to just take on the persona of Mary Magdalene and speak from her experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, we had, we had a couple of classes that centered on her back at Colgate Rochester Crozier, mm-hmm. um, because of how, um, how much our, church history since her powerful story has then sort of hypersexualized her Mm -hmm. and put all of her importance there and not in her actual eyewitness experience of Jesus's resurrection that she either that either her story is that she was a prostitute that Jesus corrected which the text does not say a single thing about any of that it does not all nope. say that she was a sex worker. Okay. It doesn't. Um, okay. And either, so either that or she was hooking up with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And those are the, like, those are the two paths that we're willing to give to her. One where all of her, everything that she did in society and her entire importance in the narrative is all based on who she was sleeping with. Right. That is what the church does to women. Right. That came from a bishop in the fourth century, I believe, um, who preached a sermon about her being a prostitute. And there's no biblical evidence to that mm-hmm. and a sex worker. So that was what he labeled her. And so therefore the narrative was stolen. And um, mm-hmm. I have this quote. I just want to read you this quote from, um, uh, let's see, where is it? Oh, yeah, here it is. From Kate Mann, have you read um, Down Girl, The Logic of Misogyny? I haven't. I have to put that on my reading list. Good book. So she writes, um, part of male dominance, especially on the part of the most privileged and powerful, seems to be seizing control of the narrative and with it controlling her, enforcing her concurrence. Concurrence. Um, so have you also heard of Libby Schrader, Elizabeth Schrader? So I'll send you this video. She has this Mary Magdalene video that's just very haunting. And it's, she is doing work currently at, um, ah, I can't remember where she's working on her PhD, but she's working on her PhD and she just had the original papyrus for the gospel of John. And she wrote, uh, she's doing research and paper and um, lectures on the fact that it was, (laughs) that the the papyrus was altered intentionally to make, to divide Mary Magdalene's role into two people. It's fascinating evidence um, to how her story was stolen and people literally mislied or altered the original papyrus so that she was less powerful than she actually was. So one really important thing here that I have- I'm a 
do you now? Okay. So one really important thing that I've experienced as a clergy woman doing this uh, is that we are working uphill against this really powerful force of patriarchy. Yeah. And it does not take away our ability to do things, but it means that we need to do things in a very smart way. Mm. And the most important thing is we have to do things in a way that are very supportive of each other's work. Because Mm -hmm. for one mediocre, arrogant white guy, it takes like a hundred women to take that voice back. So it's the power of supporting each other. And I think by nature, women are very collaborative in their leadership style and to own that and not to try to model our leadership after the patriarchal model of toxic masculine leadership, but rather have you also, um, Jesus and John Wayne, have you seen this new study? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Actually that is on my reading list. Um, yeah, I have, I have both the book and the audio book for that. That one is, that one is fantastic. It is. Yeah. It is. It is good. Mm-hmm. I also, um, part of my project is God is a black woman with Christina, Christina Cleveland's new, um, mm-hmm. book. And, um, she writes in there that the, uh, the intersection of, um, toxic masculinity and white supremacy are, are the biggest destruction to the Christian church and the biggest, I would say the biggest destruction to the United States and its formation and the way we live in our world now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And all you really have to do is look out the window or turn on the news or both mm-hmm. to see exactly how that, how that one is playing out. Um, it's been an important thing in, um, the direction that we're trying to take Eastern Parkway, the church that I Mm -hmm. serve in this season. And it's a, it's a huge uphill battle, but partnering with people that are in our local NAACP, Mm -hmm. uh, for, for racial empowerment, as well as partnering really strongly with clergy, uh, in the GLBTQIA community has been deeply, deeply important because we're in this, we're in this season right now that's amplified beyond what the history of the church has always been, where to be a Christian means to vote in a particular way. It means to wear a red hat and it means to be extraordinarily transphobic, ironically, for the sake of the women. Um, and, um, and then it to be very, very racist. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of things just came to my mind. So I yesterday just downloaded a free Audible book with my Audible membership. And it is... Oh, reparations. Let's see. What's the subtitle? Reparations, a Christian call for repentance and repair. And Duke L. Kwan and Gregory Thompson wrote it. And then it has another companion book about how the church can become part of the reparations piece. And I, and, and so what the third question 
in the conversation was, what do you want people to know about God? What do you want the world to know about God? And I, I guess I want the world to know that God is not um, what's described by Christian nationalism. God is not the embodiment of racism, homophobia, sexism. God is not... Um, God's on the side of us figuring out where we messed up and how to how to fix that and how to be part of creation, how to be part of healing, how to be part of hope, not not of destruction and violence and words that harm. So I guess that's what I want the world to know. And how do we do that? That's ultimately the question. I think for me right now in Saratoga Springs, it means showing up in the places where um, people are being harmed. And my my place of privilege and my voice has has space. I need to show up and be present. And it's it's particularly important right now to use that voice, especially because it, it, it's not that this is new coming into the conversation, but it's been heightened because of just news coverage that the Southern Baptist Church is doubling down yes. on exclusion of women from the ministry yep and that is something that feels like it should have gone away i don't know sometime around uh forever ago <laughs> and yet uh i frequently find that just part of what this job is mm -hmm. is sitting here with my master of divinity degree mm -hmm that I got after spending 20 straight years in school <laughs> from 1992 to 2012. Wow. Um, you know, and, and, all, and everything that went with that, everything that I know because of that, but using that to defend why I'm in the ministry against some dude bro mm -hmm. on social media who read a tweet and because of that, know so much more than I must about Jesus <laughs> and apostolic succession and all kinds of stuff. Just it, it, it is part of this job that I will be defending why I'm allowed to be here as long as I'm here. And I have the privilege, at least, of being a white cisgender person. Right. That those are not things that are also being thrown into the conversation as well. Yeah. Um, uh, so there's that. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also this constant thread that clergy women seem to face, but never clergy men, that if you're doing this while raising children, uh, you just shouldn't do that. That right. that is yeah. a very that that is just a very selfish thing to to do. Mm -hmm. We live in a world that never says it out loud, but really implicitly expects women with children to disappear. Yeah, go on maternity leave and don't come back. Mm -hmm. Clean out your desk and go away. Um, it, you know, don't let anyone ever see you breastfeed in public because that is going to be so offensive next to that bikini ad where you see much more skin 
Um, you know, never ever allow your uh, anyone in public to hear your kid cry because they shouldn't have to listen to that. Never ever bring your kids to church if they're being noisy, but bring your kids to church because they're the future of the church. church. Mm-hmm. And you know the, the the visuals behind what I've been doing for the last thirty five minutes or so with all three of my kids interrupting this in one way support that patriarchal assumption that you know that's just that that obviously I'm just I'm too busy rearing small humans to be able to serve the church. And therefore those two worlds can't coexist. I have to stay here, hide, and you know, wait till all of them are older than 18, and then maybe show up in the conversation as a second career clergy woman after I've sacrificed 20 years that I could have spent mm-hmm. serving the church. Right. And so I found you have to be kind of rebellious to be a young clergy. Actually, you have to be extremely rebellious, but to be a young clergy woman, you have to just keep doing the job. I'm going to be watching Moloch. Good for you, Daniel, with your son right over your shoulder. And you have to show people that, yeah, it takes a lot of grip, but I'm not going anywhere. Get used to it. Right. I think it's, it's amazing because when I first started, one of my friends was um, had her first child. And then she was giving birth to her second. And when she was on maternity leave, the SPRC tried to call the district superintendent to get a new pastor. And the district superintendent, who was a clergy woman, said to her, this is just the beginning of the sacrifices you're going to have to make for the body of Christ, Um, which is very damaging. Very, very, very damaging and not accurate at all. So for me, having to endure what I had to endure when I first started in ministry, I, I don't I want to make sure that no one else coming um, with me or right now has to endure the same traumas that we had to endure. But I didn't find that in the clergy women that were older than me, except for very few, like Kathy. Deborah O'Connor Slater, um, uh, Marty Swords, Harrell, there were, there were exceptions, absolute exceptions to that. But what I see when you are multitasking, your children are entering and moving and going and doing and speaking is the ability to multitask and the ability to stay focused takes a whole lot more brain power than it does when you don't have any interruptions. And yet the conversation can be much more engaging and much deeper and richer than I have with a male colleague who's sitting in an ivory tower, just pontificating. So, so yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head a little earlier about empowering one another. And what do we, what do we need to do to do that? Um, and how do we use our places of privilege to empower others who are with us on this journey? That's what I want people to know about God. That's the way God, this was my sermon on Sunday. My sermon on Sunday was something, oh, oh, when Jesus gave authority to the disciples, 
to go and raise the dead, heal, um, cure, all that kind of stuff. Oh, and the shake the dust off your feet. I'd love that part. I do a lot of dust shaking. Um, I talked about the way that the world embodies authority and the way that Jesus embodies authority and how radically different they are. And we have to choose. Are we going to embody authority the way that Jesus showed us or are we going to do it the way that the world teaches us? And um, the challenge is to go the path of Jesus, of course, as Christians. And so therefore, Christian nationalism doesn't make any sense. That's my hot take on it. Yes. So yes, we very much agree with your hot take here on this podcast. <laughs> um, and also, I went in a similar direction last Sunday. I talked about mercy. Mm. And I talked about how mercy is by definition showing compassion to somebody that you had the power to punish Mm. and most people when we talk about mercy in a spiritual sense we'll talk about the compassion piece and appropriately so um that like that's what takes the energy but I focused on the power piece Mm. because the the dynamics of the of the particular story that I was lifting up were all about where power was in that world, mm-hmm. who was likely to have a little bit of it and who was likely to have none. Mm-hmm. And the story that I was using was the story of Jesus um, resurrecting a 12 year old girl who everyone mm-hmm. believed had died and then healing the mysterious hemorrhage of a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And I talked about how the Pharisees, the Pharisees make an appearance in that story And they were people who were very disempowered by the Roman Empire, but they found this power by um, kind of getting together. That's the Mm -hmm. good piece, Mm -hmm. friendship, power and friendship and power in their church community. But then they they sort of twisted it around and started bullying other people. And that's a negative use of power. And then opposite that, we have these two female characters that are very unlikely to find power anywhere. And we have this poor woman who's been bleeding for 12 years with a man Mm. telling her story. And, you know, it it opens up an opportunity to kind of comedically open that up as a woman clergy person and say, so guys, um, the the man who wrote this story made a big point of like, you know, (laughs) sidestepping the actual source of her suffering Uh, But every lady here can tell you that if she was bleeding from her arm or something for 12 years, she'd be dead. Uh, This this really sounds like some kind of reproductive system issue, some kind of uterine bleeding. And it's because we can't say uterus at church. (laughs) has had to continue to suffer. Mm -hmm. So yes, the power of storytelling. Now in the time we have left, I would love to hear anything more about your thesis that you haven't already shared with the space. Hmm. So, well, the title is quite long. Um, The Harmful Effects of Theological Mansplaining on Women in Religious Leadership, Current Context, Mary Magdalene Roots, and Remembering in Community. I think this is the part that's hopeful to me, is the remembering, and so it has like the re and the dash and membering. And this comes from Mary Rose D'Angelo. In brief, remembering is intended to convey three ideas. Bringing what has been hidden out of the shadows of history, 
putting together what has been dismembered and making someone a member of oneself or the community in a new way. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about, the destruction and creation and how we have the power. Um, we have the power to uh, reconstruct, to remember our Mary Magdalene's journey and in the process are our own. So that to me is hopeful. It really is. And also the title of your thesis is indeed quite long, but it's also the best sentence I've ever heard in my life. So please don't shorten it. Like, like every piece of that is exactly what I needed to hear. So, and when I first read that, I, I laughed out loud just in a delight way. It was just so, it was so wonderful and very, very you. Thank you. I found this article, uh, Father Knows Best, Theological Mansplaining and the Ecclesial War on Women. Mm -hmm. um, and it really transformed me. And I had to keep readjusting my paper and then when, and my project in general. And then when our, um, when Mark Webb left leadership here, I thought, well, you know what? Now I no longer need to not use my context. Um, for for the basis of my understanding for this paper and this project for myself or for other women in particular. So I'm hopeful that we can um, pull out the divine feminine voice out of the shadows of toxic masculinity that has buried her for a little far too long. I agree. And you know, it, it, it takes it takes a bunch of little reminders to do it effectively. But if we keep insisting, it does rise to the surface. Yeah. And it's also just an important charge to those listening to this, that we are in this liminal space right now as a conference and as a greater world. Right. So no matter what context you live in right now, we're in a space where there's a lot of yeah. different transitions going on. Yeah. And it's a golden opportunity to change things for better, but only if you do that work. Right. So it's time to put on your work boots and start changing things. Right. And I think changing them in community, in collaboration and in community, bringing people along with you to do that work. Because um, we can't do any of that alone. We do it together. That's how the world becomes a safer, kinder, gentler, more life-giving place that, that's about creation and not destruction. It, from, the, from the musical Rent, when you were talking about creation, um, the opposite of war is not peace, it's creation. So thank you for reminding me of that. Yes, of course. So before I did, what? I'm sorry. It's been good to spend time with you. Oh, yes, of course. You know, your, your, your voice and your input here are invaluable. And I, I'm very thankful that you've held on to that mm -hmm. despite having it stepped on. Thank you. you I know, think uh, Drew University helped me get, give me some more energy and um, impetus to keep going. Yeah. I'm grateful. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, we, we have to, one thing that we have to, we have to hold in mind for ourselves mm -hmm. is that the way that an oppressive system works mm 
is to squash you down and make you go away. Right. If you don't go away, they lose their power. Right. So, You're right. Anyway, thank you so much for sharing your time with this, Heather. This You're is welcome. really going to be a gift for everyone who listens to it. Thank you for the invitation. Yes. Peace and love to you. As to you and your kiddos. Happy yeah. summer. Yes. Bye. Dangerous Liberal Lady Preachers is produced by Natalie Bowerman, Emily Hugie, and Jessica Glazer.